This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. And so, Lord, we do ask you to speak right now through your word. Lord, we need to hear from you. There are so many competing voices in, in all of our lives that we could listen to. We could, we could listen to the, the culture and take our cues from that. We could listen to our fears and take our cues from them. We could listen to our, our, our worries and all of, all of those, those things. Lord, we need to listen to you. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak now. We thank you for your word, that you, you speak through the scriptures. And Father, as we just sang, we, we pray that you would do that in such a way that your church is built and that the earth would be filled with your glory as we make disciples who make disciples in our community and around the world. Would you use these minutes together in your word to form and shape us as your disciples? Speak to us now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. So, uh, if you're new today, we are in the midst of a series called A New Way of Life, uh, which is based on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, and we have come to chapter 6 today of Matthew, and we're talking about giving, fasting, and uh, praying, and so if you would look at the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, First book in the New Testament, the sixth chapter, and we're going to look today at verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip down and look at verses 16 through 18. Jesus is talking here about three critically important uh, parts of the, the life of a Christian, what it means to live this new way of, of, of life, three of the practices that we are to engage in as followers of Christ are giving, praying, and fasting. And Jesus is going to teach us today how we're going to do that. How, what's, what should be our mindset as we give, as we pray, as we fast. Matthew chapter 6, and let's look beginning with verse 1. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. 
We're going to skip down to verses uh, 16 and following. We're we're not skipping the Lord's Prayer, by the way. I'm going back. We're probably going to spend two weeks on on the Lord's Prayer in verses 9 through 14 over the next couple of weeks. But um, we're we're going to address that next week. So let's look at verses 16 through 18 and what Jesus says about fasting. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they... Make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Early in in my ministry, there was one, one of the pastors that I really looked up to, um, w- wrote a lot of books, and and whenever something would come out that he wrote, I would immediately uh, grab it and and read it. He was just sort of a sort of a model in ministry, and over over the years, he's become he'd become less of a of a model. My philosophy of ministry is you know a bit different from his, but still, really always thought of him as a as a man of in, of integrity that I kind of looked up to. Well, imagine how I felt over the last couple of years as it was revealed that this particular church leader uh, had engaged in a a pattern of making sexual advances to, to, to women in his congregation and that this had been happening over decades. In fact, one of the the books that I read as a young pastor that this guy wrote was a book on character. It was called Who You Are, and then in parentheses, When No One's Looking. I thought, what a, what a, great, what a great way to sum up what character really is, right? Characters, who you are when no one's looking. Who you are in your private life. Who you are in your heart. Who you are behind closed doors. But yet he was engaging in this pattern of behavior at the very time that he was writing a book on character, (laughs) a book called Who You Are When No One's Looking. Well, listen, this this religious leader wasn't the first religious leader or the the, the first religious person to be living a double life, to be one person in public and another in private. So throughout chapter 5, this is the very thing that Jesus is honing in on, right? He's talking about about people who are, are one thing in public and another thing in private. On the outside, they're checking off all the boxes. They seem to be obeying all the rules. But in the, on the inside, their hearts were filled with things like lust and anger and hatred and dishonesty and on and on. And so that's why Jesus said in chapter 5 and verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because their righteousness was external. Inside, they were a cesspool. And so Jesus is calling us to wholeness. We saw at the end of chapter 5, and in verse 48, he says there, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if you weren't here, we talked about the meaning of the word perfect there. In Greek, it's teleos, which does not mean the same thing as the word perfect in 21st century English. 
teleos, which is the word that's translated perfect here, means whole. It means to be complete, to be undivided. And that helps us make sense of what Jesus was talking about in chapter 5, because he was addressing people who were not whole. They were divided. One person externally and another person internally. And Jesus is calling us to people who are undivided, who are complete, who are whole. People of, of, of integrity, people of genuine character. Now, the temptation to be one person on the outside and another on the inside, to sort of project an, an image that does not match the internal reality of our lives, that's always been there. But I think in our culture today, there are things that, that magnify this even more, especially in the age of social media. And I'm not trying to rag on social media here. I'm, I'm, I'm on social media. But the temptation with social media is to project an image, right? It's to project an image that's, that's maybe not necessarily who we are. You know, recently, one of my, my daughters was sharing about a kind of a friend of a friend that's and it's not somebody that anybody in this congregation would know. She lives you know, several states away. But she was telling me that this, this girl had, had attempted to take her own life and how she and a number of others tried to come around her and, and minister to her or whatever. Well, I was looking at this girl's Instagram and you would have thought from her social media that her life was the perfect blend of fun and friendship. And yet inside, life was coming apart to the point that she wanted to, to end it. And so, you know, we can try to, we, we, there's a temptation to project an image that, that has no, no truthful relationship to, to truly what's going on on the inside of our lives. And by the way, another thing about social media is that sometimes we look at the lives of other people on social media and everybody's trying to project a perfect image of a perfect life and we can look at that and think, man, what a loser I am because I got all these problems. Well, guess what they do too? Another, another kind of, you know, temptation of, uh, of, of, uh, of social media is, is that it, 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 it reveals, and again, this is not the fault of social, social media is a neutral thing. It is not a, an inherently sinful thing. It reveals. <laughs> it reveals what, what is happening in our hearts. And another, another human craving that we have in our sin nature is that we yearn for the approval of other people. How many times have you posted something and thought, mm, I, I bet this is going to get a lot of likes? Or you're disappointed if it doesn't get likes or if it didn't get liked by the people that you wanted to like it. The, the temptation and the craving for human approval did not begin with the internet. It did not begin in the digital age. It began in a garden. <laughs> and what was the first thing that Adam and Eve 
wanted to do after they sinned. Hide from God. But you were not created to hide from God. You were created to know God and to love God. And Jesus here is talking about three ways that we show our, our, our love for him as authentic disciples. First of all, loving God in our giving. And we see that in verses one through four. Loving God in our giving. So let's, let's go back and look at verse one. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your father in, in heaven. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees was not true righteousness because it was not done for the glory of God. It was done for the praise of other people. And so Jesus here is talking about, he's, he's going to talk about these three areas, about giving, praying, fasting, and Jesus is going to talk about doing these things secretly, privately, in a way that other people do not know about it because you're doing it for the glory of God. But how does that match up with what we saw in chapter 5 and verse 16? We need to talk about that. What did Jesus say there? He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus told us in chapter five, don't be like a lamp that's you know, put, under a, uh, put under something. You want, to be, you want your lamp to be set up on a stand. You want to be like a city that's on a, a hill. You want, you want your good works to, to, to draw attention to who God is so that people will come to know him and glorify him. And so there are times when the good works that we do in the name of Jesus are to be very much put on display so that people will, will see who he is and they will be drawn to him and glorify him. So the issue here is motive. Motive. What is the motive of your heart? And the motive of our hearts as followers of Christ should always be the glory of God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Let your good works shine before others. Why? So that they can look at your good works and talk about what a good person you are? No. So that they can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And so we are not to hide our faith. We are not to be ashamed of the gospel. We're not to be ashamed of speaking the name of Jesus or doing acts of goodness and kindness and love in the name of Jesus, but we're not doing that to draw attention to ourselves. We're doing that to shine the highlight on him so that people will know him and be drawn to him, right? Psalm 115, one, which we, we sang earlier, says not to us, 
Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. So how do we kind of put those two things together? There's a time when we should be private about things. There's a time when we should be very public about things. How do we put those two things together? There's a great Christian named A.B. Bruce many years ago who said this. Bruce said, show when you're tempted to hide and hide when you're tempted to show. (laughs) Show when you're tempted to hide and hide when you're tempted to show. There, There are times when Satan tries to play upon our cowardice and we're tempted to hide our faith. That's the very time that we need to speak up and show our faith. There are other times when Satan appeals to our vanity and he tempts us to, to, to crave human approval. And those are the times when we need to go private and, and do things in, in, in secret, right? So there's a, there's, a, there's a balance here that requires discernment and the guidance of the, the, the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he talks about how we apply these things in three areas, okay? Giving, praying, fasting. Giving first, verse, verse two. He says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. Now notice here that Jesus doesn't say if you give. He says when you give. These people on the hillside that he's talking to in the Sermon on the Mount are Jews. They were living under the old covenant in in which everybody tithed. Everybody gave a tenth of their income to to the Lord. Even the poorest Israelites were required to tithe. So should we tithe? As people of the new covenant? Well, as people of the new covenant... We're living on this side of the cross and the resurrection, and we have all kinds of spiritual advantages, and as Americans, we have all kinds of economic advantages that most people did not have in the first century. I would say to you that we absolutely should be tithing and learning to give offerings beyond the tithe. And that should not be exceptional Christianity. That should be normal Christianity. And giving was normal for these people. But how are we to do it? What is our mindset as we do it? What does Jesus say here in verse 2? He says, when you give, don't sound a trumpet before you. (laughs) Jesus is a master. Of, of humorous images. His, his teaching is, is filled with it. So imagine our ushers walking down the center aisle as they did a few minutes ago, but instead of carrying trays, they're, they're blowing trumpets. And, and you're right in the middle of the group of ushers. And there's the plate here at the front. And so the, the ushers are walking and they're blowing their trumpets. And you're right in the middle of them. And you walk up and you, 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 you put your, your picture offering in the, in the plate. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is where the phrase toot your own horn uh, came from. Probably so. Um, but Jesus says that that's not the way that that we, that we w- want to give. Um, and he talks about 
giving in, in secret and not making a big display of your, your, your giving. Now, Jesus is not saying that nobody is to ever know that you've given. That's not what he means. He's not saying that you know, there's never a time for a public gift. He's not saying that there's never a time to, you know, for you to talk about your giving. There are times when both of those things are appropriate. There are times when a, when a public gift is appropriate because if the motive is right, and you're not doing that to try to you know, gain applause for yourself, that, that gift can be used to encourage other people to give. There are times for uh, testimonies about giving. I mean, many of you could testify, I could testify to how lives have been touched and faith has been strengthened when somebody from the congregation, just you know, a normal person from the congregation gets up here and, and, and talks about how, uh, how they've learned to, to, to trust God in their giving and, and how, you know, they have seen God come through and they have, they've experienced his sufficiency as they've learned how to trust the Lord and to give. That can be incredibly encouraging to, to, to other brothers and sisters in Christ. So there, there's, a, there's a, a, a time for, uh, for, for, for all of that. But the issue is motive, Right? It's motive. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and we were having breakfast together and, um, and at, at our trustee meeting, and he was talking about how a lot of pastors were, were putting on social media how much their church gave to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which can be a really encouraging thing because we have so many, so many churches that aren't giving anything to missions. Uh, you know, at least half, maybe more than half, of SBC churches give nothing to Lottie Moon. Zilch. And so sometimes posting something like that can, can, you know, can be a spur. It can be an encouragement to, to others to maybe begin to you know, think about missions, think about stuff beyond their own uh, church. So it, it's the type of thing that can be done um, as an encouragement, and you know, there are lots of guys, lots of pastors doing it in, in that way. But my my friend was telling me, he's a pastor, and he was saying, you know, um, every time that I get ready to hit the tweet button about how much our church gave, and they gave a lot, he said, every time I get ready to hit tweet, I'm reminded of what an ambitious guy <laughs> I am. And, and because I find myself getting ready to post this and I find myself thinking, oh man, our church gave a lot, you know, other people are going to see that and, you know, and other pastors will see that and they'll think, wow, man, you know, they've really, you know, they, they've really, and so he was saying, I, I, my conscience, I'm struggling with whether I can, I can kind of put this on there because of what's happening in my heart. Well, listen, those are the kinds of healthy conversations and self-examination that we, that we need to have. What's our motive, right? What's, what's our motive? Is it the glory of, of God, right? So, um, loving God in our giving. Second, loving God in our praying, in our praying, Verse five, 
Jesus says, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Of course they have their reward. That's why they were doing it to begin with. (laughs) They were doing it to gain the applause of other people and they got that. And Jesus says, that's all you get. They're not, their their prayers are not going to be answered because they weren't praying to God. (laughs) They were praying to the audience. Uh, D.A. Carson has a a funny thing about this. Carson says, there's a frequently repeated story of a minister in New England who described an elaborate and polished prayer offered in a fashionable Boston church as, quote, the most eloquent prayer ever offered to a Boston audience. (laughs) You don't want to pray to the audience, right? (laughs) They can't answer your prayer. You want to pray to God. God is the one who answers prayer, which we see in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now again, Jesus is not saying that all prayer is to be private, Certainly, there are times when we should pray in front of people. Jesus does it all the time. When you read the book of Acts, I mean, the, the, the early believers are constantly together and, 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 and pray, praying, praying with one another, right? In, in, in groups and praying in front of, of one another. That's just a healthy part of the, of, of the Christian life. In fact, sometimes our, our reluctance to pray publicly in front of other people is not really about humility. It's often about pride. I can remember as a, a teenager being on a, a, a student ministry retreat and the leader who was giving the devotion asked me if I would would pray following his devotion. And I said, probably very sanctimoniously, huh, I'm not into public prayer. Well, that wasn't the issue, okay? The real issue was my pride. Because at that point in my life, I wasn't into doing anything publicly or saying anything publicly in front of a group. And so I was afraid that I would kind of not know what to say or, you know, uh, that I would offer a bad prayer. Who was I thinking about, God or the people? I was thinking about the, the audience, right? Not God. That was my pride. So a lot of times our refusal to pray in front of other people really is not hum- about humility. A lot of times it's, it's really about our, our, our pride. So there's no problem with praying with other people or in front of other people. But let me tell you, there's a big problem. If most of your praying is public and not private. <laughs> because the, the amount that we pray in public ought to be a tiny fraction of the amount that we pray in private. Again, D.A. Carson has some helpful questions that we ought to ask ourselves about this. Question number one, do I pray more frequently and more fervently when alone with God than I do in public? Do I love the secret place of prayer? Is my public praying simply the overflow of my private praying? Well, listen, if the answer to all three of those questions is not a resounding yes, there's a huge problem. Because our, our, the prayers that we offer publicly ought to be the overflow of a flourishing private 
life of prayer. They ought to be the overflow of a relationship with God where we're talking to God constantly. I don't know of, of a single, um, you know, really godly person that I've ever known in my life that does not have built into their life a time with God each day where they're in the word of God, they're in the scripture, they're taking that time alone with the Father in adoration and confession and thanksgiving and, and, and supplication where they've got that time built into their life. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says to pray without ceasing. That means that we have a relationship with the Lord so that throughout the day that we are constantly breathing out prayers to the Lord as we're depending upon him and, and walking with him. And so whatever public praying that we do is to be the overflow of that kind of a relationship with the Lord where prayer is like breathing to us. Verses seven and eight, Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words, don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Now again, Jesus is not saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with praying for a long time. When you read the gospels, there are times when Jesus prays all night. So there's nothing wrong with praying for a long time or, or even praying a long prayer. But Jesus says, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the pagans. See, they thought that if they could just, they, they believed in many gods. And so they thought that in their praying, if they would just kind of, kind of keep, keep naming the names of more and more gods, that, you know, they'd cover all their bases. <laughs> Jesus says, no, there's one God. There's one God. And, and if you're his child... He knows you. He loves you. The hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows what you need before you ask, but he wants you to ask because he wants your faith built and he wants a relationship with you. And you can talk with him honestly and sincerely and directly. The third thing he talks about here is fasting. Loving God in our fasting. Verses 16 through 18. Jesus says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. <laughs> but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you think of fasting as something that other people do? <laughs> That's the way a lot of people think about fasting. But, but notice here that Jesus in verse 16 doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. Jesus assumes this is going to be a normal part of the life of one of his followers. But when you fast, Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. It's interesting. The word hypocrite here that Jesus uses over, over and over it came from the stage. We think the Academy Awards is tonight. So the word hypocrite that he uses here, the word came from the world of acting where people would, what do we do in acting? We pretend. 
We pretend. We pretend to be somebody that we're not. She said, that's, that's, that's hypocrisy. And so these people were putting their fasting on display. You know, whenever they would fast, they would kind of go around and, you know, look gloomy and, hey, make, make it obvious. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. It would be like one of us, you know, planning a fast right before like a big family dinner party or something like that so that everybody would notice that we're not eating. And, you know, and then they say, hey, why aren't you eating? I'm fasting. No, don't want to do that. That's, this is something that, that, that is between you and the Lord, um, and, but we are to fast. The best definition that I've ever heard of fasting is that fasting is feasting on God. Fasting is feasting on God. It, it, it's, it's a time when we, we devote attention and energy and time that we would have given to stuffing our face with food and we instead give that to the Lord, right? We, 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 we put aside that time to intentionally uh, feast on the Lord. We get alone with him, with, with, the, with the scriptures and spend that time in, 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 in focused prayer. If you've never fasted before, I would encourage you to begin with skipping a meal. Um, maybe skip lunch and just kind of plan to take that, take that lunch um, and, and, and get alone with God, your Bible, um, and just spend some time just feasting on God. Uh, the next step would be to maybe do a 24-hour fast. By the way, when you fast, a normal fast includes water. So stay hydrated, drink lots of water. But if, in a 24-hour period, if you go from, from dinner one evening to dinner, the, the next, um, and devote that time, the, the time that you would normally get the meal, go about your normal life, but devote the time that you normally would to the Lord and just feasting on him. It's, it's a wonderful means of grace for, for God to, 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 to work in your life. Now, again, is all fasting to be private? Not necessarily, No. There are times in the Bible when we see Christians fasting with other people. They've, they've gotten together. They said, you know what? We are going to take some time and we're going we're to fast as a group and we're going we're to pray through something. We see a couple of examples of that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13 and verses 2 and 3. And, and as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. Acts 14, 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believe. So these are examples of, of, of believers. Obviously, they, they know that each other is fasting. It wasn't totally private, um, but they were fasting as a, as a group, um, as a church, uh, to in, intentionally focus on something um, together, to give intentional extra focus to that uh, before the Lord. So giving, praying, and fasting. Okay, so these are, these are issues of, of obedience, they're, 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 they're things that, that Jesus uh, commands us and that he gives us uh, for his glory and for our good, as we sang about earlier, and for the good of others. They are from him. They are good things. But isn't it wild how even good things with our sin nature 
can get twisted. That's what was happening. That's what can happen with us. The enemy doesn't just always, you know, use overtly bad things. Sometimes he takes good things and he twists them by perverting the motive and things like that. How do we, how do we deal with that? Because <laughs> it's a hard issue. Well, the answer is that we, we can't deal with it on our own. We can't. It's only the spirit of the living God that can do that. Only God can deal with the twisted stuff in our hearts. But he can do it. And the reason he can do it is because Jesus was twisted in pain on a cross as he died for our sins, as he died for all of that, of that junk that can go on inside of our sinful hearts. And because he rose from the dead and his spirit has now been poured out, what it means is that we can have new hearts. What it means is that we can have hearts that are being renewed and transformed from the inside out so that we can be people who are whole so that the junk that is inside of our hearts can be in the process of being healed and restored and we're being made whole so that we're not living schizophrenic lives of being one person externally and another person internally. But that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit and you don't get the Holy Spirit until you know Christ. Do you know him today? Have you experienced the new birth that Jesus gives, the new heart that he gives? Are you experiencing the work of transformation that he gives through the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for new life. Lord, as we gather here today on Sunday, we gather on resurrection day and because Jesus is risen, there is new life. Because the Spirit has been poured out, there can be genuine heart transformation as you form us and shape us into the people that you would have us to be internally and externally as you make us whole. Father, I pray for anyone here who's never, 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 never entered into that new life, that never walked through that open door that Jesus has provided through the cross and the resurrection. Father, I pray that you would grant new life today. Father, I pray that this would challenge us as, as believers. Lord, even my own life, just in preparing the sermon, how, how challenging and how convicting these things are, Lord, be doing a work in our lives of forming us and shaping us as your disciples. Lord, how we thank you for your, your love, love shown to us ultimately in Jesus, and we pray it in his name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. 
Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.